We're looking tonight at the baptism of Jesus. Okay, so it's this incredibly significant moment in the first chapter of Mark where Jesus gets baptized by John the Baptist. Now, like any good sermon series, we're not going to start with Mark just yet. Okay, we're going to start with a completely different book. Uh, But before we get there, I just want to tell you a quick story. So, um, has anybody been to Camera Obscura? Oh, wow, oh my goodness. It is a popular attraction. <laughs> I didn't realize it would be that popular. <laughs> I, th- I was hoping it was going to be a secret I could tell you about, and then you would go and do it. Um, Camera Obscura is fantastic. Loads of us know what it is. Uh, for those who don't know what it is, or if you're visiting, uh, it's really worth it. It's near the castle. It's basically like an exhibition of lots of um, what you might call, uh, I don't know, they're, like, they're kind of like puzzles, or they're like mirrors, or they're all sorts of different things, like uh, illusions, uh, and it's really, really great. I went there. Uh, maybe four years ago now. And you go through and it's got all the kind of weird mirrors that make you look tall or make you look uh, fat or make you look short. Or, and then it's got these kind of weird, pers- um, they, they change the perception and perspective of things. And it's really, really clever. And I went with a few friends. And it's got this bit where there's a tunnel. And, and the whole kind of uh, room, uh, the walls around it are spinning. So it's really disorientating. And at the end of the tunnel, there's a mirror. But the mirror is a bit distorted, and the, the lights are kind of dimmed, and it's going all a bit crazy. And as you walk through it, you kind of lose your balance a bit, and it's a bit of a laugh. And I thought, wow, wouldn't this be a brilliant opportunity to have a go at running through it and see what happens? And on the other side of it, you can kind of see the reflection, but you can't kind of see the reflection. It's a bit obscured, hence camera obscure, right? And so um, I thought, right, I'll run through this. I won't run too fast, but I'll run through it. So I'm running through it, and as I'm running through it, I'm kind of losing my balance, and it's kind of hard to see where the tunnel ends, and it's, it's kind of all going all over the place. But I'm pretty confident I know when the tunnel ends. And so I start to pick up a bit of speed. My friends are behind me, like, kind of watching and baiting me, and I love it. I think I'm, you know, I'm running through, having a good time. And before I realize, this thing ahead of me is getting bigger and bigger and bigger. It's like a shape. And of course, I realize it's a mirror, but I realize about a second too late as I run headfirst into the mirror at Camera Obscura. Now, this is no word of a lie. I was knocked out in Camera Obscura. <laughs> so, and all I can remember after running headfirst into this thing is opening my eyes and leaning over to my side. My friends, by the way, just left. They carried on going through the rest of Camera Obscura thinking he'll be fine. I turned over and see a nice group of Asian tourists who are quite confused as to why there's a ginger-bearded man lying on the floor in the middle of this exhibition with a slight cut on his forehead. You see, a a mirror image, like at the end of this tunnel, a mirror image, um, it's, it's not exact, it's a reflection. It's not the same, it's backwards. You know, um, it used to confuse me loads when I was growing up. I'd lay the table for mum and dad. And uh, now, bearing in mind, this may just be because I'm stupid or whatever. But when I was younger, I'd put the knife and fork down, and then I'd walk to the other side of the table, and i think, well, the knife's there, so I'll put the knife here, and the fork's there, and I'll put the fork here. And it always meant that one side of the table were eating with the wrong side, with the wrong cutlery. Because I didn't understand that actually, when you're reflecting something, you have to turn it around. It becomes flipped round. It's reversed. 
That's what a mirror image is. It's almost a bit like as well, you know, um, if you're getting ready to go out to a party uh, or you're getting ready to go out for a good night out or maybe you're just getting ready for the working day and you see yourself in the mirror and you've done your hair and you've got your clothes on and you think, I'm looking flipping fantastic today. This is going to be amazing. You go out and for whatever reason, people are taking photos because it's a night out or it's a wedding or something like that. And you look back in the photos and you think, Oh my goodness me, that is not the man who was in the mirror earlier today. I could have sworn I looked well better than this. What is this? All the reverse happens and you go, flip, I'm good looking. (laughs) Better tell somebody about that, actually. You see, mirror images, they're not the same, they're a reflection. They turn things around. Now, I said we're going to come to Jesus' baptism in Mark, but we're going to come a little bit later. We're going to go there a little bit later. I want to start us in a book way before that, in fact. If you've got your Bibles on you, or if you're new and um, you haven't got a Bible, there are Bibles available around the back, uh, or maybe it's on your phone or whatever. Uh, You might want to turn to, and this is a really easy passage to turn to, because it's right at the beginning. Um, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. I even put a bookmark in my Bible so I didn't lose it, but you just never know what might happen in the moment. So, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. We're just going to dive straight into this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now, the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. It's the creation story. For those of us who don't know, Genesis, uh, for, for, um, for the most part in the beginning of the book of Genesis, is the story of the creation of everything. It's the cosmic creation from nothing to something. It's an amazing account. It's, um, it, different people interpret it in different ways. For some, it's a literal account. For some, it's a poetic account. But the purpose of it is to to give us an understanding of God's character of why he created all things. Now there's two, uh, as that chapter goes on, we we hear about um, the seven days of creation, six days and the seventh day of rest, uh, and all sorts happens. And we don't have time to read through all the way through that. But there are two major points that I want to draw from Genesis. Firstly, in the creation of all things, the Trinity was present. In the creation of all things, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they were all there. And we know that just from those verses that we just read. We know that because it says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God's there, right? Now, the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. The original translation paints a picture of like a bird. It's like a bird. The spirit is like a bird flying, hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light. So we've got God and we've got the spirit. And then we've got this bit, and God said. Now, we know from the Gospel of John, which is another gospel in the New Testament, at the very beginning we know, John says, John says, in the beginning there was the word and the word was God. And then I think it's John 1, verse 14, it says, the word became flesh. Uh, And if you're reading the message translation, it says, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. What John's trying to say is the word of God, the voice of God, is Jesus. So what we have here in Genesis is we have God, the Holy Spirit, and we have Jesus. 
That's the first major point I want to make. Now, in regards to the Holy Spirit hovering over the waters, that kind of picture of a bird, that comes up a couple more times in the Old Testament. So we have that in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 32. We have that in Isaiah 31. In Deuteronomy 32, uh, it, it paints this picture of God being like an eagle, sheltering us under his wing. In Isaiah 31, it's like birds hovering over his people, passing over his people. Uh, this picture of the Spirit of God being like a bird comes up again and again. The Trinity is present in the creation of all things. The second major point is as you read on in chapter 1 in Genesis, you find out the order that God created stuff. So on days 1 to 3, he's making form from the formless. He's taking nothingness and turning it into something. So there's darkness, now there's light. Then he creates the waters, and then he creates the sky, then he creates the land, and then he puts vegetation into the land. He creates the heavens and the earth. That's days one to three. Days four to six is when he breathes life, and he puts life in all of creation. So days four to six, he puts creatures in the sea. He puts creatures in the air. He puts creatures on the land. And of course, he creates mankind. Days one to three, he creates form from formless. Days four to six, he creates life. Those are the two major points. Now, let's delve into Mark. Because here's the thing. I believe that Mark is a mirror image of Genesis. And like the camera obscura story, or like when you're going out on a night out, or like the knives and forks on a, piece of ta- uh, on, a, uh, on a table, it's not the same, it's a reflection, it's backwards, it's flipped around. I believe that Mark is a mirror image of Genesis, it's a mirror image of the creation. Let's jump into Mark. Mark chapter 1, verses 9 to 12. At that time, Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descended on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert. I believe that there's a new creation happening here. And I believe that because of two major points. One, the Trinity is present. So Jesus has arrived, and John, in other accounts of, this, um, uh, of the baptism of Jesus, Jesus arrives and he sees John the Baptist baptizing people. And Jesus says, would you baptize me? And John's like, no way. John sees from a, from a mile off. John sees that this is Jesus. This is the one. There, there's um, prophecy in Isaiah in the Old Testament. Prophecy is like a foreshadow, a foretelling. Sometimes. There's prophecy in the Old Testament that says that there will be a messenger who comes before the one. That's John. John believes that the Messiah is coming, so he gives people baptisms of repentance. What that means is people are being washed away of their sins in preparation for Jesus coming. John sees Jesus and goes, you're the one. Jesus is like, well, I need baptized. He's like, I'm not going to baptize you. You're the one. You're Jesus. You don't need baptized. Jesus says, well, it's right to do this. 
in another account, it says it's right to do this to fulfill all righteousness. He's saying it's my Father's will. You've got to baptize me. And, and, what's, uh, and what's clear here is that Jesus is... Oh, lights are on. Amazing. Uh, what's clear here is that it's Jesus. That's the Son. We also know that that's the Son because the Father, right after he comes out of the water, the Father tears open the heavens and says, This is my Son whom I am well pleased. Now, you don't really need any more indication to know that this is Jesus. This is the real deal. And now we've got the Father present. And where's the Spirit? Well, it says right after that, and then the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. Do you remember what we were talking about in Genesis? The hovering over the waters, the image of a bird. Here it is again. This is really, really significant. It's only three verses at the beginning of Mark's gospel. Mark's gospel is regarded as an introduction book to the book of Acts. It's a book that comes later on in the New Testament. For some, this might seem as a very small part, but it's so significant because actually this part is signifying the plans of the Trinity to save mankind forever. I hate that word mankind because there's, all, there's loads of women, right? So what about just humankind? But this part is, it, this in a nutshell, is the Trinity's plan. They are creating again. We are deliberately seeing this because they are creating again. Except this time, like a mirror image, it's not going to be the same. It's going to be backwards. You see, God didn't say, oh, it's all gone wrong. Let's just start again. I'm going to can it all. I'm going to ditch it all. We're going to throw it in the bin and then we'll start a new project. And this time we'll get it right. God didn't say that. Because the problem with that is that that's a God who doesn't love us. In fact, that's, not, that, that, that's an authoritarian, uh, weird artist of some kind. Not a loving father who wants a relationship with his children, no matter how far gone they are. And so this time, he says, right, what we're going to do this time is we're going to flip it around. This isn't the cosmic creation from nothingness. This is re-creation. This is taking us here and now and creating something new in us. And here's the second really important point. It's a mirror image. Do you remember in Genesis we talked about the first three days was about God creating form from the formless and then uh, days four to six was creating life? Well, he's flipping that around. This time, he's recreating in us first. He's starting with you. And then, as that work is completed, he will then go on to make a new heaven and a new earth. But he's starting with you. In 2 Corinthians, Paul writes, um, In the beginning, God said, let there be light. And Paul says, uh, and now God is saying, let there be light in the darkness of your heart. He's starting with us this time around. He's reaching into our darkness and saying, let's create something new. It says in scripture that when you give your life to Jesus, you become a new creation. He doesn't scrap the old, but he redeems it. He doesn't bin you and start something new because he thinks, gosh, you've gone so far gone, we need to start again. He says, let's take you right where you are 
Let's turn that pain and that hurt into gold, and let's turn that darkness into light. This is the start of that journey. This is the recreation of all things. What's also important to note here is that the Trinity do all of this stuff together all of the time. It seems like a really simple point. But it's so crucial for us to understand. It's almost like a dance that they're in with one another. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit constantly dancing with one another. There's no hierarchy. They are together, doing things together always, forever and always. Uh, There's um, uh, an ancient Greek word to describe this. It's, uh, It's called perichoresis. And it's basically the picture of a dance, of that very thing, of all members of the Trinity glorifying one another constantly. Like at the beginning of creation, they're glorifying one another, right, like right here at the baptism of Jesus. Jesus is getting baptized because he wants to glorify his Father. He wants to say, well, you see, when, when we get baptized, and perhaps you've been baptized or perhaps you haven't been baptized, but when we get baptized, what we're saying publicly is we're saying, I'm giving my life to Jesus. I'm dying to whatever was before, and I'm now giving my life to Jesus. I'm consecrating myself to Jesus, to the Father. And that's exactly what Jesus did at his baptism. He said, God, I glorify you and I give my life to you. And I'm letting everybody know that I'm here. And then God glorifies the Son and opens the heavens and says, I love you. This is the one I'm well pleased with. This is my Son. And then the Spirit glorifies Jesus by descending on him like a dove. This perichoresis, this glorifying one another, this creating together constantly, that's how God works. That's how God did work, is working now and will forever work. The dance is still dancing today. It's still going on. The music hasn't ended. Now, this is important because, and this is where I want to land this evening, this is important, I think, for two main reasons, for two big uh, responses, if you like. Is that there are some of us who are here tonight who maybe for whatever uh, chapter in their life that they're in right now, they have recognized that some of you may have recognized that there is darkness in your heart that needs light. That there's a version of you that you are now that you don't recognize and something tells you that it's not who you were made to be. That this idea of recreation stirs your heart and maybe for the very first time you want to give your life to that. But I think it's also important because, and I think this is probably covers everybody in this room. I think it's also important because we need to recognize that the Trinity is a Trinity. And maybe for whatever reason, whatever uh, church tradition you've been brought up in, uh, whatever experiences of Christianity you've had, whatever experiences of maybe earthly parents that you've had that you've projected onto a heavenly parent. For some reason, you relate to the Trinity like there's not three of them. It's like believing in God but chopping some of his limbs off. There's a Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're okay with believing that there's an authoritarian creator over all things. But you've never met the personal Jesus who came to die for you. 
Or perhaps you're okay with the Father and the Son, but to you, it's 2,000 years ago, and you just can't make it make sense today. Because you've never met the Holy Spirit. Or when you have, it's been, it's been an experience that's taken you out of yourself, and you think, oh gosh, that only happens at big events like conferences or uh, amazing worship sets or whatever. But actually, it's a constant process of getting to know. It's a relationship of getting to know the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Those two responses that I mentioned, the first response of um, you quite like the idea of having God recreating something in you for the first time tonight. You quite like the idea of saying yes to a God who loves you for the first time tonight. I'd love to pray for you. And I'll pray, and, and, and I'll invite you to pray in your heart what I'm praying. And just as I pray this prayer, and just imagine that it's just, just me and you in this room and Jesus. As I pray this prayer, just try and imagine in your mind Jesus standing with you. And just repeat the words in your heart as I pray them. Jesus, I'm sorry. I've lived my life up until now without you. And right now, Jesus, I want to change that. Right now, I want life where there's death. I want light where there's darkness. That promise of life in all of its fullness, I want that. So God, I give my life to you. And I invite you and your Holy Spirit to fill my life. Forgive me for what I've done wrong. And lead me into new life. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.